0: Hey guys, wait—is this on? No. Is it on? Yeah, it's on. Okay, I know you're probably all exhausted, and it's as you can tell, it's just grungy night. We all need a bath. I'm not saying that for any particular reason. I'll just move back here and say it. Um, Otherwise, it's Saturday night, and um, we're tired. But that that worship was invigorating. That worship just reached down into my soul. The words of, of the of those songs, and um, it's just wonderful to to see your response and and to get into what God is doing in this place. And are you ready to keep going on our journey? And um, we're gonna go a little deeper. Gonna go a little different. And uh, we're moving away from. Lions and tigers and bears and, and mangling and piercing. And we're going to stay with compassion and faithfulness and grace and redemption. And I love that Raj said that, that redemption is actually the theme of the message tonight. And um, God just keeps confirming his word all the time here. And I'm, and I'm so grateful. But redemption is, is the theme of what we're doing tonight and we're going to be talking and again if you have your Bibles just keep them open to Ruth chapter 3 and I'm not going to be going I'm just going to walk you through the beginning parts of the story and then I'm going to there's only like five verses that I really want to hit you with and and I hope you can see as we continue this journey where we're going and and where we're heading and um, it's been really great and of course I want to start with a story and unfortunately, once again, this is true. But once again, I really hope that this has purpose that will just move us on into the theme of what we're about this weekend. And the, the thing about God that I love, among everything that I love about him, is that he doesn't ever leave us where he finds us. He never, he, and, and he doesn't even give us the choice because he's a father, and, and fathers, you know, they push, and they prod, and, and they want to keep us moving, keeping us away from those parking zones, so that we're, we are being renewed, and we're continuing on this journey. And I just want to tell you this story, because it, it, it's really, truly, it's, it's a little cleaner than the one I, you know, better than the one I told this morning, because that involved shorts. But this one doesn't, so you can relax, and um, this is a story about a boat. And my husband, Murray, who is here with a sunburn, I might add, and um, we were going to take this holiday when we were living in Belleville. And we didn't, we didn't really know where to go. We hadn't got a lot of time. We just had a few days. So his, he has this friend who, who has all these toys. I call them toys. He has, like, boats and stuff. And so he had this really what I thought was a ginormous boat. And I said, Marie, let's why don't we just ask Jeff if we can borrow his boat? Like, that would be such a cool thing to do. So, Murray's like, sounds good to me. And neither one of us, you have to know, I, like, I don't know how to drive a boat. Do you, I don't, I, another day, Murray had no clue. So, he's like, Heather, first of all, I have no idea what to do with the boat. I'm like, buy a book. So, like, he went out, and because we were in Belleville, and somehow it, Belleville connects to the Thousand Islands. Don't ask me how, but it does. The, and so we were going to take the boat from Belleville to the Thousand Islands. And this was our cool trip. So he bought, a, he bought some books and went at the steering wheel. And I bought a bathing suit and sat in the back and we were a disaster. We had no idea how to, like, we, we had to get gas within, I don't know how long, and there was, like, people running from the decks, because we're like, help, help, and we're trying to throw the rope. We had no idea what we're doing, but we, we were getting close, and we're like, don't we have to, like, book, a, book something? Like, you know, like, you don't book a room, but, like, is it a berth? I don't know what you have to book. I'm like, Murray, book us something, so he gets, on the, he gets on the walkie-talkie, hello, hello, like whatever, and he gets the Gananoque Channel. The, the, you could tell I'm a real boater. <laughs> so he gets the Gananoque Marina. marina. He gets the marina, and he's like, one, two, three, come in, and they, they start talking. And he's like, yeah, I'd like to book a place for the night. And um, I'm like, tell him we have a big boat. Tell him our boat is really big. So we need a big spot. Like I'm thinking we're in a yacht, right? Because it had like a downstairs and where you slept in a bathroom. Like to me, that's a yacht. And so I'm like, tell them it's big, you know, so we could be really cool. And they're expecting they're expecting us. <laughs> so we finally were getting really close, and I see that you know, boats are bigger than ours, generally speaking. And and I can see that they've thrown their anchor over. And people are jumping in the river. And I thought, I am so going to do that. So I'm, I'm so, I, I was so excited. So we, we parked and we were pulling into the marina. And, and the guy on the radio tells them where we have to park. We, we looked like we had a canoe. We were parked between like puppies that were like 50 feet. And I believe ours was how many? 22. <laughs> I thought it was big. And I wanted to stay in there and hide because we looked so small. And uh, anyways, the next morning we got out. And I'm like, Murray, take me to where the cool people go. Where they throw over their anchor and they jump. So he's like, he obeys as a good husband. And he he gets us. He gets us to the point. And there's nobody around and we throw out the anchor. But within 10 minutes, we're like floating. And we're by this island, like right next to it. So we have to pick up the anchor and learn how to do it again. But once we, once he figured it out, I had brought this. Do you know what a swimming noodle is? You know those big long things? Those long noodles. Okay, so I had this bright yellow noodle. And I'm like, Murray, I'm going in. He's like, Heather, don't. I'm like, I'll be fine. I've got my noodle. So I'm, I'm like bon voyage overboard with my noodle in the St. Lawrence floating away faster than you can ever believe and I'm like trying to keep up but the current is just like taking me and Marie's like Heather I'm like I'm okay I'm okay he's like get back get back so I'm like okay so I try to turn around like I I can like puppy paddle is that what it's called so I'm like puppy whatever with my noodle trying it was in the way trying to get back to the boat and it took me like seriously half an hour 45 minutes to get back and it took me like five minutes to get out to where I went so I finally get back to the boat exhausted holding on to my noodle and there's only like one other boat around at this point the cool people had not arrived and I said I am exhausted I just want in the boat so I throw my noodle at Marie, and I say, I'm, I'll just get in. Then there was a problem. The, the, his friend with the toys failed to mention there was no ladder on this boat. And here I am, in the St. Lawrence, once again with a yellow noodle, unable to get back in the boat. I tried everything imaginable. And I think that people started to get on the radio because, like, boats started to come around. It was like, 10-4, woman with yellow noodle. <laughs> Stuck in the St. Lawrence. Come one and all. So, like, during this whole process, Raj is shaking his head. Through this whole process, I'm like, I can't get in this boat there was nothing. Murray tried everything. He even went downstairs or underneath and blew up an entire air mattress. It took him 20 minutes. He like, <laughs> blow by. My, we had no pump. Like he blew it up by my mouth, like an entire air mattress. And he's like, here. I'm like, what, you, what is this for? And he's like, it'll give you height so i just like put my butt up on it and every time i get right it and back over i'd go and my legs would go back and it's like more boats <laughs> coming around i'm like oh this is not going well marie so he's like i said honey we have one option drag me back <laughs> throw the rope and drag me back. I have lost all pride. We have the biggest, smallest boat in the entire marina. I am the only one with a noodle for miles. I am stuck without a ladder. And to make it worse, the owner never told us he had a big first sale sign in the back of the boat. Did that not make us look like trailer trash? Like what? Like it was just Pathetic. Finally, Murray gets, this is going to get spiritual eventually. Murray gets, he goes back downstairs, and he comes up, and he gets, he has two towels. He goes, I've got, I've got an idea. I will be the crane. I'm like, the crane? He said, get your butt back on the air mattress, and I'm going to throw you two towels, and you grab one with each hand. I'm like, okay. This has got to work. This has got to work. So I get positioned. I'm closer. And I'm holding on. He throws over two towels. And seriously, folks, with like a crane, just slowly, slowly, up she comes out of the water and into the boat. And it was like this cheer went up all over. It was like you could almost hear it all over the airways. Woman with a noodle in the boat. And it was so awesome. And we never went back. (laughs) We stuck to land pretty much. But all this does have a point. And here's the point. That there's lots of times we are on this journey of renewal. And and like we talked about last night, and we get these images of of God and, and what he's allowing and what he's doing and... He's a bear, he's a lion, he's, he's breaking us, he's piercing us. And we have this choice to make that we, yet this I call to mind and remember. And then we, we've walked through the, the issues, the stuff that on this, this, this journey of renewal that, that has kept us back from hearing the voice of the Father, who is absolutely without question calling you. And saying, I'm right here. I'm up here. This is where you're going to find me. But we're, we're dropping that as we're being renewed here. But the next step of the journey is as we make our approach and as we're coming, what I would like to say, back into the boat or into the presence of our Father, back into the safety, it takes a process. As we approach, it takes a process to, to come out uh, of that place that we have found ourselves often noodleless with nothing for support no ladder, no noodle, nothing. But our Heavenly Father will do absolutely everything within His power, and His power is abundant, limitless to get us up and out and back on the road. And so this evening, I want to tell you a story, another story. And I've, I've kind of tried to pick family stories because I, you know, as Raj has said, this is a family thing. And it's, it's a family in the sense that you're here with your families, but you're also part of a big family here. And so I've chosen another family to talk about. And I want to talk about their journey. And how they found themselves in the most horrendous of circumstances. But God redeemed the situation. And God brought redemption to a hopeless situation. And the story is is of a woman and her family. And it's found in the book of Ruth, but it doesn't start with a woman named Ruth. Ruth. It actually starts with the story of a family, and the family's names were Elimelech. Nate was the father. Elimelech means God is my king. Had a wife named Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Had two sons mean, uh, named named Kalon, and I am forgetting the other son's name. So I looked to my notes, but it doesn't matter. They they had two boys. And the one boy's name means God is my song, and the other boy's name means God is my joy. And this family lived in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem actually means, and I'm sure many of you know this, Bethlehem means place of bread. That's the meaning of Bethlehem. And isn't that amazing that the bread of life was born in Bethlehem, which actually means place of bread. But here was the problem. This family of four, two boys, mom and dad, lived in the place of bread. But there was famine. There was no bread in the place of bread. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And that's a whole other sermon in And uh, I'm sure Raj is good with that one. And and explain those whole issues that, you know, why was there famine in the place of bread? Well, you know, God always chooses to feed his people where he puts them. But sometimes those people make wrong decisions and bad things happen as a result of bad decisions. And this is what was happening in the place of bread. There was no bread. And, And people were starving, And they were hungry, and this family had a choice to make. Do we stay and starve in the place of bread where there is famine, or what do we do? So Limelech made a decision for the family, and he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to the land of Moab. Now, Moab is present-day Jordan, so if you just want to, it's right behind Israel on the map, so Israel and Jordan's right to the right. So they, they, it was like a 50, 60-mile journey at that, at that time, and they had to walk. So when the Bible first refers to it, so when you're reading in Ruth chapter 1, it, it says that Elimelech took his family to go to the land of Moab. And, and the, what the Bible is inferring here in these verses is that they had no plans to stay. The, the word that is used in the Hebrew is that it's, it's almost like a, um, a transient thing, like when we lived in Belleville in the county, every summer the the mushroom pickers would come, and you always knew when the mushroom pickers come, they came from Jamaica, and they would come, and they were transient workers who would come and pick the mushrooms. So that was what what was being inferred here that they didn't intend to stay; they just wanted to to get a little work until there was bread back in Bethlehem. But but. When you read at the next verse, the the few verses down, we'll get to that. A different word is used in Hebrew. And the word is that they made it home. Now, here's the difficulty. Is that Bethlehem was where God chose to feed his people. And that's where he put them for a reason. But Moab is where they went. Now, so what's wrong with Moab? Moab was like, you know, there was a TV show like maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. It was a Canadian show, and, and they would spit when they'd say, you know, you're from that place. And they, I, I forget the name of the show. Corner Gas. Yes. And, and they would say, you're from, so spit. So this is like the whole thing. You're from Moab. Spit. Why? Why did they treat those Moab's like this? Because here's the thing: Moab was the son of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. Things things we don't like talking about, but this is this is what happened. And Moab was the result of this relationship. and And so to the to the Hebrew people, like Moab was 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 a cursed place. It wasn't a place that a good Christian or a believer, or, you know, God-fearing family should not be going to spit Moab. But they found themselves there, this, this family. And it says not long after the family settled down in Moab that the father dies. And so, God is my king is dead. It, it, it's like we would call it, there's, there's a song about the enemy's camp, I you know here they were and definitely in, in the enemy's camp and he dies. And what did the boys do? They they grew up in, in Moab and they took wives from Moab. By now they were Moabites. They had settled into this country and made it their own place. And and eventually these two boys who had taken wives, Orpah and Ruth, were their names. Also died. And they would have been young. They, they died young. And so here is Naomi, who's who's the pleasant one, who's left in the enemy's camp. She's left in this this land of Moab. No husband, no daughter, no sons, and these two heathen daughter-in-laws who who did not worship her God, who had no knowledge other than maybe what they'd seen if, if they still continued to worship. And here she was, and her life, and she's stuck. And then she hears something. She hears that bread has come back to Bethlehem. So she says to her daughters, listen, and, and I'm going home. I'm going back. That this place has not been good to me, I'm going home. And you have to understand that culture, these women literally belonged to her now. They had literally left the home of their of their families and attached themselves to Naomi and her family. And so they made they started out this journey with her. and they get to maybe, I don't know how far the Bible doesn't say, at some point in the journey, Naomi, who was supposed to be very pleasant, starts this just tirade, like, why are you following me? Why are you even coming with me? Do I look like I can have more kids? You'd be better if you just left me. And she she begins this monologue of misery, and I'm just broken and alone, and I'm stuck, and I've got to go home, and listen, there's nothing good ahead for me, so just go home. And this is where those beautiful words come. When Orpah says, fine, I'm going. And she sees the lights of Moab in the distance. And Moab was literally a a place where they sacrificed children to to foreign gods. It was a horrible, detestable land. But Orpah saw that and, and wanted it. She wanted to go back. But Ruth spoke those amazing words that that we often hear at weddings, listen, I'm going with you. And, and the actual is, "Whither thou goest, I will go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Your people are going to be my people and your God is going to be my God. And so these two women make this journey from the enemy's camp to return home. When they got home, they have nothing. They, they had literally lost everything. Halimelech had given up his land, his rights on his death. He had no sons. So they literally came home with nothing. And they had no way to support themselves, not nothing, no way to eat. So Naomi, knowing the culture and customs of her people, said to Ruth, listen, this is what you got to do. You got to go to the fields and you got to pick up leftovers. And, and that's allowed. And, and then you bring them home. So Ruth sets out in the morning, and she goes to a field, and she starts to, they call it gleaning. To, it's, it's picking up the remnants of even what the slaves leave behind. It, it's, it's even lower than the servants. And she finds herself in the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz treats her so kindly that she's blown away. And he and he talks to her, and he he begins dialogue with her, and says, "Oh yes, you know, like okay, just like I've had this this weekend as as people that I know, it's crazy, you know the the ties that that go back here, one since when I was like five years old, um, it, it's just you know so he he comes back and there's a conversation here, and, it, and it's about yeah okay so that's who you are, that's who you are, and. She goes home, and she says, Naomi, you cannot believe this guy. This man was so good to me. Not only did he feed me, not only did he protect me, not only did he say, you can have my fields anytime, he sent us home with food to look after us. And he says, I go back tomorrow. So Naomi, the widow, with an available daughter-in-law, brain, you know? It's like it starts working. And she's coming up with a plan. She knows like Boaz is available. Available. And she knows that they need redemption. They need to be redeemed from their situation. And to be brought back to where they belong. But they couldn't do it by themselves. So Naomi comes up with a plan. And the plan is a plan that I have learned to live by. And there's just a five-step plan. It is something that has guided my life for a very long time now. And I want to share the words, the advice of Naomi to Ruth. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you? Where you will be well provided for is not Boaz. With whose servant, girls, you have been a kinsman. A kinsman redeemer is someone who can take you, who can redeem your situation and and bring you back. Is he not a kinsman redeemer? Listen to this. I know where he's going to be tonight. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now listen to me. Listen to me, Ruth, because here's the plan. Number one, wash. Number two, anoint yourself. Number three, put on your best clothes. Number four, go down to the threshing floor. And number five, go lay at his feet. Number one. Here's what you got to do when you're making your approach. We have left. We're not stuck in that situation. We've made this journey. We've left behind. And we need to be redeemed. And this is what you need to do, Ruth. You need to wash. You need to get anointed. You need to change clothes. You need to go to the threshing floor. And then you need to lay at his feet. And this is not just a message for a very young widow, a very dirty, homeless widow. This is a lesson for us, the church of Jesus Christ. This is a lesson on our journey as we seek to be renewed, as we seek to leave what we have known and leave the places we have wandered and allow God to do what he needs to do in our life. And here's the first instruction. We need to wash. You have to understand something here. Ruth would have stunk. And I'm not talking in just the normal, like, you smell a little bit. We're talking she would have stunk. This this girl would not have changed her clothes. That was the custom since she was a widow. She would have been in these filthy, probably ripped clothes. She wouldn't have had a bath in a very long journey home. Ruth literally, you could smell her approach before you saw her. Ruth needed cleansing. Ruth needed a bath. Now, the Bible is full of, of water stories, and Jesus often met people at the well and used water for, for healings, and one of the most significant that we could find is is John the Baptist in, in the New Testament, where we're he, he took people and and he put them under water and brought them back up and he said, you know, I I'm this is a baptism of repentance and what it, it was a metaphor for for what happens when we as believers are baptized that we're going down as one person and we're 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 just getting washed and we're coming up as a different person and, and this is the metaphor that that we see here that's being created. I love Bible stories. You may be able to fathom that, but. And another story is of Esther, and we know the story so well that when she was picked as the most beautiful woman in the world and got to, as, because she was picked to be the queen, she got to approach the king. But before she could approach the king, I'm going to tell you something, six months of cleansing, six months. Talk about the loofah. Like, seriously, this is a serious spa, I'm telling you. They would have scrubbed this woman raw before she approached the king. Here's the thing, church. Sometimes I think repentance is, is a lost part of our, of our daily walk and confession. And, and what Naomi is saying to Ruth is, listen, you need you, you want to make your approach you, part of, part of this redemption here. You need to clean up. You need to take a bath. And I think of this often in my in my own life when I when I get in situations in in my feet. We we sang that song, "Oceans," take us deeper than our feet can ever wander. But the reality is, our feet can wander, and the pull of Moab can be great. And I don't have to tell you what Moab represents because it represents something different for all of us here. But it pulls us. And, and we find ourselves feeling unclean. You ever been there? You, you, just, you just know. And this is where Ruth was. And she was approaching and needed to make that approach. And one of my favorite people in the Bible is Peter because he's so impetuous and unpredictable, as Raj just spoke about, someone else. Totally unpredictable. He, he like, chopped off ears, like, whoosh, just trying to protect Jesus, jumped out of boats, you know, just, just lovely man, <laughs> my favorite character. And Jesus, before he left this, this planet to return home, he, he gathered the 12 that had walked with him so faithfully, and he bent down. And he started individually to wash his feet. And I can just imagine as, you know, like the 12 are lined up just, you know, like this. And he would kneel here, and he would start to wash the feet. And I'm sure that as he washed the feet, there would be a special word like, good job, Andrew. You know, I I just so appreciate. And this is, you know, I'm with you. I got your back. And on to James and John. and, And when it gets to Peter... Peter, the impetuous one, Jesus is washing his feet, and in John thirteen it says Peter's like, "Lord, not just my feet, my whole body, just my whole body." And Jesus is so patient and gracious, looks at him and he says, "Peter, you don't need a bath. You, you, literally, he says, Peter, you are clean." You are clean. You're standing in me. It, it, we're good. It's good. It's like us. We, we know, right, our standing in Christ. He is looking at us through it's the righteousness. God has looked at us through the righteousness of his son. We're good. But here's the thing. Our feet get dirty. Our feet get, get dirty. And, and Jesus said, listen, Peter, you have no need of a bath. Just let me do your feet. And I have found that on my journey that, you know, I, I know, I know, I know I'm good. I know my standing in Christ. I can hardly sit down. It's, I just get so excited that he has taken that for me. My God did that for me. He redeemed me. Jesus Christ paid the price for me. I'm clean and I'm good, but my feet wander And I need to repent. And when I was a teenager, there was this dumb song over this dumb movie. And it was, love means you never have to say you're sorry. Like, that's just nonsense. Arrogance means you never have to say you're sorry. Pride means you never have to say you're sorry. Self-righteousness means you never have to say you're sorry. And religion, you never have to say you're sorry. But humility means, I'm sorry. And to come, and Jesus says, confess your faults. John, 1 John 1 and 9, if you confess, and he's talking to the church, he's asking us to confess. And then he goes further. He says, confess your faults one to another. Mutual confession. Repentance. Get washed. Take a bath. We're, we're coming out here, guys. We're going for renewal here. And I'm asking that 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 we take a bath. The second thing that she said, okay, you're cleaned up. You're going to get clean. We're going we're to get that stink and dirt and filth and grime off your body. But then you need to anoint yourself. Anointing is something I think, it's, 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 you know, we hear the word and we all want to be it, right? But do we even know what it means Sometimes. And going back to Esther, Esther had these six months right at the super spa where she just just went through the the whole cleansing. But then it was followed by six months of anointing where every imaginable oil was rubbed into her body until, until the fragrance of Esther would have just filled everywhere. She was anointed. There was a different fragrance And this is what the Bible is talking. And we often talk about what is anointing. And I want to tell you three things really quickly. Anointing started with shepherds. David was the shepherd king. And he says in Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. Why did he say that? Because of this. Sheep were really, here's the word again, they're really dumb. And they they really have to be cared for because they're a train wreck. And bugs would go after them because they knew they could torment them, and they would get in their ears, and the sheep would go crazy. I mean, when you have something crawled in your ear, it'd go crazy, right? Don't think about it tonight. So, so these bugs and their sheep, the sheep would go nuts trying to shake these things off their heads. And what the shepherds would do is they come along, and they would take this oil and they would anoint their heads. And they would just smear the oil, and anoint literally means to smear. Look it up; it literally means to smear. And so they would smear the heads of these sheep, and so the bugs would come. And every time the bug would try to attack, it would just slip off. It was awesome tactic. They just slip right off. And this is that anointing that is just one of, one of the aspects of anointing. It's a protection. It's a covering of our, of our head. And, and when the enemy sees this, he's going to take off because he will recognize our head. He will recognize what's over us. Secondly, what is anointing? It also means this, to be chosen, to be redeemed, to be set Apart, and let's people in the Bible, okay? And and I'm I'm going after something here that I want you to get. We we can look at Moses, and, and would we agree he was anointed? We agree. We don't know him personally, but we're taking the word of God here. He was anointed, but he was anointed for a specific task. He was an anointed leader. He was chosen by God for a specific task to get those children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so we're looking at anointing in a different aspect here, that, that it's, it, it's for kingdom purposes. It's that there is a reason that, that you're anointed. And here's what I love the most, is that I want you to look at anointing almost like this. It's almost like your signature scent. You know, like all the movie stars like have J-Lo or whatever. They're all like have their own perfume brand. Anointing is is being called out for a purpose. It's it's once you're washed and you're cleansed, God is setting you aside for a calling, for a purpose. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts that are part of the body and the gifts that God gives to us. And that gift is your anointing. It's what you were called to do, and everybody in here is called to do something. It is your signature scent. I have a really bad story. When we were in California, one of the times, my husband is allergic to perfume, and I can't deal with that because I love perfume. So we were in this pastor's seminar in Los Angeles, and I had this really expensive perfume in my purse. Amory's like all caught up in the preaching, like, glory, glory. And I'm like, I just want to wear perfume. And I thought, like, who's going to notice, right? So he's like, oh, la, la, la. and I'm like slipping my hand subtly into my bag, subtly removing the lid, and subtly dabbing. And I'm like, who's going to notice, right? Like, three minutes. <laughs> Murray's like looking at me, and I'm like, I'm into the worship all of a sudden. Yay, man. Like, I'm totally into the pastor now. I'm like focused, got my eyes on the pastor, Jack Hayford, preaching. I'm in the, and Murray's looking at me with that look, and I'm not paying any attention. And then, like, tears are running down his face. <laughs> and he's practically choking. And I still will not acknowledge I did anything wrong until the man in front of me. <laughs> Starts choking and coughing. And I thought, I can't believe this. There's two Marie's. And who would know the other one would sit right in front of me? My fragrance filled that room. And it wasn't so great. It, my signature scent was like disruption. <laughs> but here's a beautiful story, Mary. When she came to hear Jesus teach at Bethany, One of the last things that happened to him before he was crucified is Mary took a bottle of fragrance, very expensive, and she began to pour it all over his feet, and she took her hair, and she just washed away. You know what the Bible says? The fragrance of her worship filled the room. The fragrance of her anointing, the fragrance filled the entire room Guys, we need to come and be cleansed. We need to get that filth off of us, but we need to replace it with something else, and I recommend the anointing. And I further recommend that you find out what your signature scent is and that what you are called to do, what you have been redeemed for what purpose. And at the end of the story, we're going to find out Ruth's. Step number three, and I love this one because I'm a girl. Not only do you have to wash, not only do you have to anoint yourself, you got to change your clothes. That is music to a woman's ears. And Naomi is saying, listen, you know, you took a bath, check one. You, you anointed yourself, check two. Number three, get rid of those clothes. And, and what's the point if if we're we're cleansed and and we've washed and we've come to that place and and we've anointed we're covered with that anointing and and we've been this this redeeming for the purpose and, and we've replaced the stench with this incredible fragrance and then we put the same clothes back on no and that's what Naomi said she's listening and. And again, church, this is to us. This is to us. The next step, and, the, and very quickly, there's a doctrine. It's big words, but this is a, it's called substitutional atonement. And this is what it means. It means that God created perfect Eden. He created us in his image. We're, we're the only creatures. Created in in His image, I want to get a, I'm going to get more on that tomorrow. The image of God, and we had the ability to walk with Him and talk with Him, and Adam and Eve did that, but they were lured by the enemy because that's what He does, and and they fell. And, and their first their first instinct was, "Oh my goodness, we're naked." That, that was their first instinct. Like, we literally have nothing to wear. Literally. And their first instinct was like, okay, but we can fix this. We can, we can fix this, right? And, and they put together all kinds of twigs and leaves and, 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 and just covered themselves. And then they did what we all do when we're caught. They hide. And God is walking in the garden. And he's calling their names, Adam, Eve. Adam, Eve, where are you? And, and, the, and we're here. Well, why are you hiding? Because we were naked. And here's redemption. Here's substitutional atonement. Here's getting dressed. In the garden at that moment, God took a, a lamb, a beautiful spotless, pure, and he killed it, killed it. And the blood of the lamb was shed. And God took the skins of that perfect lamb and he said, here, Adam, here, Eve, let me dress you. Let me cover you. And folks, you have to grasp that every day. That that was a foretelling of what Jesus Christ did for us. And he showed us from the very beginning that he, the perfect, pure, spotless Lamb of God, was slain for us. And now, how does he dress us? In himself. Literally, he dresses us in himself. We could call them the robes of righteousness, and that sounds very wonderful, but that's kind of like hard to understand. But what is not hard to understand is that he has dressed you in himself. And when Father God looks at you, he doesn't see what you are so hard and earnestly trying to do to approach him. Just get rid of the twigs and leaves and this stuff. Because the lamb, the lamb, the lamb did it. The lamb. That's what you're dressed in. And if you have come to that place of confession and repentance, and let Him wash your feet and let Him do it daily, I recommend it. And you have anointed yourself and received the anointing from Him. Don't ever put back the old stuff because it's not going to fit. It's ripped, it's dirty, it stinks. We're being renewed here, and the renew comes with a new wardrobe, and it's him. It's Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Number four, I'm closing quickly here. Number four is the hardest, and I don't even bother taking notes because it's the hardest thing. Because Naomi said, listen, take a bath. Anoint yourself. Change those clothes, and then get yourself down to the threshing floor. The threshing floor. It's not a word that I would say to my daughter or my son or my husband or anybody. Get yourself down to the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a place where, you know, if you, you guys, there's a lot of farms around here. But I think they're cow stuff. Like, I don't think you, I don't know what you grow, but wheat, wheat has to be separated. And, and now we have machines that, that do that. It has to, the grain has to be separated. In order for it to bring nutrition, we, we have to get rid of the stock and the other stuff. And we just, and this is what the threshing floor was. It was a place where they would literally take the wheat and they would beat it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on the floor, until it was just the wheat, the good remained. And there's many times in my life I've been to the threshing floor. Sometimes it feels like, like an extended stay. Sometimes it, it feels like the welcome mat is out too often. But it's a place I have learned to love. Love. Because it's a place where it's just me and Jesus. And it's a place of surrender. Where on this path to renewal and redemption and being pulled out, we, we go to that floor. And we allow the Lord to do in us whatever he needs to do. I look at the life of Joseph and I think, you know, he had that anointing. He he was good. He had the coat. He had the stripes. He had everything. But it took a journey of pits and prisons and really bad people's wives and a process That took him a long way from home, but a process nonetheless of being threshed until he stood in that place of the original dream, of the original purpose, of the original calling out. And the threshing floor was not in vain. It had purpose. And a lot of you, or some of you, or most of you, or all of you, maybe, have spent time on the threshing floor and I want to say learn to love it. Learn to appreciate what God is doing and though you feel like your head is constantly being hit and you just want off the floor God is making you into something God is in the process of redemption. God is making you. God is designing you. I get so emotional about Gethsemane. It is my favorite place in the universe. When I'm tired, which is quite often lately, I'm I'm leading a really busy life. And I crawl into bed and at night. I say, "Can we just meet in the garden? Can we just meet there tonight, Lord? I just, I just want to kneel beside you, because you know this was this was the ultimate place for Jesus. This is where it happened, folks. This is where His threshing floor started, where He knelt there and like." It always made me upset. I'm like, none of his friends came. Like, nobody came with him. He went in alone, and and they stayed back. But it was the time for him and the Father. And Jesus, fully God, fully man, was like, you know, this is a lot to deal with. But this is my threshing floor and not my will, but thine be done. And that garden becomes the sweetest, most beautiful place as we learn to surrender and give our lives to God on our, each of our own floors. The last instruction, and with this I'm going to close, is that she said, once you're done, the whole process, washing, anointing, changing the clothes... You're going to go and you're going to meet him. And you're going to meet him at the threshing floor. That's where you meet him. This is the first time it actually talks about a meeting that is going to happen. And this is where it happened. And she said, after you've come there to that place, this is what I want you to do. I want you to lay at his feet. And I think we are a people in a church that have forgotten the art of Psalm 46, which says, be still, be still. And know that I am God. And it was in this place where it, it was to be redeemed, it was a tradition that she would lay cross crosswise at his feet until he took the corner of his garment and he he covered her with her that. And that was the, that was the sign of redemption, of acceptance. There is never going to be a better place than laying at his feet. Because Naomi said, that's where you will receive your instructions. Learn in this busy, crazy, phone in our hand, iPad in the other, TV in front, and radio in our ears world. To be still. And to know. Not only that he is God, but to know. And this is what I love what happens. Boaz lifts his head and he looks at Ruth and he says this. Who are you? I would be so offended. Who am I? Like we've already met. You you gave me food. I told you who I was. I told you that I was the daughter-in-law of Naomi, I told you I came from Moab. I told you. I've given you all the information. I'm here laying at your feet. Like, she didn't say this, but I would have thought this. What, what kind of question is that? But here's what I, here's what I believe. Boaz lifted his head, and he, and he saw this person at the end of his feet. A, she did not stink. B, she smelled good. See, she had different clothes. And I believe what he was saying to her is, Who are you now? Who are you now? And she could say, I'm Ruth. And this is what the Lord would say to us tonight as as a church and as individuals, as we come. And we come to that place of washing and cleansing and repentance and anointing. And and, and we, we cover ourselves, we dress ourselves in the Lamb, in Him. And then we have that place, those moments of, of surrender to Lord, I, whatever, just let me be with you. It doesn't matter what else is going on. This is my moment of surrender, and I want it to be with you, beside you, with you only. And we just lay there and receive the instructions in stillness and quietness. And this is what had happened. And and he was saying, he says to us, listen, you're going through all this. I want you to tell me. And and it's a question not not for Boaz's benefit. It was for Ruth's benefit. You tell me who you are now. You tell me who you are now. Are you the same, Ruth? No. No, I'm not. I've been redeemed. I'm a different person. I've experienced the redemption. I'm being renewed in Christ Jesus. This is me now. This is me now. There's another question that I want the church to get, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow. There's a question that Boaz, Ruth asked Boaz. Boaz asked her one, and Ruth asked Boaz this question. How is it that you've noticed me, a foreigner? Here's the answer to the question in the end of our story. The answer to that question is, Ruth. Boaz's father married a woman that was part of Raj's quiz. Her name was Rahab. Boaz's mother was Rahab the harlot. That's who Boaz's mother was. How is it that Boaz could, could take in a foreigner, a person that, that was not part of, of the culture? Because his father showed him his father led by example and this is this is with god our father he our our, his son jesus christ has taken us in and here's the beautiful thing remember this morning i told you that leah was part of the lineage of jesus christ so is ruth ruth is like the great 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 grandmother In the lineage of Jesus Christ. She's like the great, great, great grandmother of King David. Rahab the harlot. Leah the weak eyes. These are the lineage of Jesus Christ and us. I I think the worship team should come back tonight and and ask Raj if if he will come on up. And I think sometimes we just come on. And I know you're tired and we're not going to extend this. And I'm going to ask Raja to just kind of take this at this moment. But I, but I really feel that there's, there's time for however you want to do it, however, for a response. That, that we can examine our hearts on this path, on this journey. And we can look at our lives and, and see these instructions and say, Lord, where am I? Where am I? Who am I now? And where is it that you want to take me? So as Raj comes and, and the worship team comes, I just I'm going to quickly pray and then just give this to Raj Father. I thank you. I thank you for the grace that is found in this place, in this room. I thank you for your love that drew us, your word says out of the deep waters. And placed our feet on solid ground. When we could not get out, you got us out, pulled us into safety. And Father, as we make this journey this weekend, this church family, this church family, oh God, may they be renewed as individuals and as a body. Thank you for the leadership that you've entrusted. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing, and I pray that as we leave this place, we will know what it means to be washed, to be anointed, to be dressed in you, to be surrendered, and to know you. Whom to know is life eternal.